Oh, God. Birthday of the king. We know it's not December 25. We know that. It probably was in October before the rains. The shepherds are outdoors. But still, with the whole world, we pause in this dark pandemic season to remember the coming of the king. He was born in our midst to save us. May he be front and center these few moments we have now. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, at I don't know if you've been following the news. I, I have no idea. In case you have it, I need to tell you, in case you don't know, in two days, I'm telling you the truth, in two days, you and I are going to experience a very unique once-in-a-thousand-lifetimes moment when we witness a spectacular space event. Are you following this news? Come on. You got to be. Am I the only one following that? The last time, the last time this event was this clear and this close was when Genghis Khan was roaming the Asian steppes, March 4, 1229 A.D., almost 800 years ago. The last time we would be this close and this spectacular. So I've already said it. I have it right here in my, uh, in my phone. I'm going to get an alarm. I'm going to get an alarm in two days. On December 21, I'm going to get an alarm two hours in advance so that I can find a horizon to the southwest. Okay, so, so this is south. This will be southwest. We, you got to find a horizon. Don't find a treed horizon. Try to find one without trees because that's the moment when the two massive behemoths of the solar system, Jupiter and Saturn, will come the closest they have been in almost 800 years. How close will it be? I want to take you to Scientific American. You know, this is a kind of a scientist uh, website and a magazine. I, uh, I want to take you there. And I've got the, the changer in my own pocket here. So let's go. Scientific American website. For the last great conjunction, that's what they call this moment when, when uh, Jupiter and Saturn get close. So about every 20 years, the orbits get close. Okay, that's no big deal. On May 28, 2000, the apparent distance between Jupiter and Saturn in the sky was 68.9 arc minutes. I don't know what that is. I didn't have time to look it up. But scientists here are all saying, yeah, we know. Okay, 68.9 arc minutes or more than twice the diameter of the full moon. So I put my hand out here. There's a full moon right there, and I double it. That's about how close they got. Okay, now. What's, how's it going to be this time? Here we go. In contrast with 2020's great conjunction, in two days, may I remind you, don't be sleeping early on December 21. In contrast with 2020's great conjunction, which coincides with the December solstice, the shortest day of the year in the northern hemisphere and the longest in the southern hemisphere, the gas giants will appear separated by just 6.1 arc minutes. That is roughly the thickness of a dime held at arm's length. So you hold a dime right out here. So I'm going to hold it between the, the, your thumb and index finger. That little, that little space is how far apart they're going to be. I'm imagining, I've never seen this before, I'm imagining to the naked eye, it's going to look like one glorious white light. Just, just, they're calling it, in fact, the Christmas star. For the life of me, I cannot imagine what the real Christmas star looked like. I love the story. 
You know, the Christmas story is only told twice in the New Testament. It's amazing. It, it is the greatest holiday in Christendom, the most music, the most, uh, the most uh, pageantry, and it's only told twice. Calvary is told four times, the resurrection four times. The Christmas is told once in Luke, that's the shepherd story, and in Matthew, where we're going right now, Matthew 2, open your Bible, please, to Matthew 2. This is the, the wise men's story. But, oh, I'm so, I, 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 I am so glad that God gave us these details. I want to think about that star. And by the way, I want to say to our media team, just a, just a superb done, Richard and Gadiel in particular. You know, this moving background. We're not going to get snow this year, so we decide, let's get it right now and just pretend. So we have this snowing background, and we got stars up on a wall, and the little planetarium-like stars are moving around and around. Let's go to the story. Come on, Mark, uh, Matthew, rather, Matthew chapter 2. So I'm going to have it here. This is going to be from the NIV. We'll set it up here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Thank you, Pastor Riley. You dealt with this with your other two preacher partners last week. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked. This is the only place the wise men speak in the entire narrative. This is what they say. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. A lot of people think that, you know, the shepherds came one night, and, and, and the next night, the, the wise men show up. No, 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 no. When, when, when uh, Matthew says after, that after encompasses, in, in, encapsulates a lot, a lot of time. Because the star is moving, and they've been following it. You can't prove that the star is moving, Dwight. I sure can. Come on, drop down to verse 9. Here it is. After they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. That star is not moving fast. Can't be moving fast. I love walking in the early morning. Oh, I just love it. It's just my favorite part of the day. The heavens declare the glory of God. And I tell you what, when you walk before there's any sun up, and it's just stars and no clouds, it, it, is, a, it is a spiritual moment. You'll know. If you do it. But what I'm always looking for is a satellite, a moving star, as it were. At a bonus moment, a morning, one week ago, three satellites in one walk. Wow. That's something. Anyway, satellites, yeah, you're not impressed, I can tell. Satellites, satellites, you know, speed of a satellite is just like this. If you take your eyes off of a satellite, you look, go back, look at the stars, your eyes will go back to the same place. It's no, th it's no longer there. It's just, they, they move fast. This, this, this is a moving. It is a move. We know it's moving, but it's moving slowly. Oh, and I love this. I love the classic on the life of Jesus. If you don't have the book of Desire of Ages, go to Amazon.com and get that book for yourself. Desire of Ages, best book I've read on the life of Jesus. It fills in some blanks beautifully. So let, let's just take a look at the Desire of Ages here. The wise men had seen a mysterious light in the heavens upon that night when the glory of God flooded the hills of Bethlehem. When angel Gabriel shows up, this nuclear moment, fear not, don't be afraid. That moment when the choir behind him says, come on, give us the cue, Gabriel, we're ready to sing. At that moment, the explosion of light, they saw it. It was just this light. 
The wise men had seen a mysterious light on the in, the in the heavens that night when the glory of God flooded the hills of Bethlehem. As the light faded, so the light disappears, a luminous star appears and lingers in the sky. It is not a fixed star nor a, nor a planet, and the phenomenon excites the keenest interest. So here are these pagan scholars. Hey, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That star was a distant company of shining angels. But of this, the wise men were ignorant. We're not dealing with a natural phenomenon here. This is moving. They are taking their directions from this moving star, whatever it is. And it attracted their keen minds. I'll keep reading. Uh, yet they were impressed. Something inside said that the star was of special import to them. They consulted priests and philosophers. They searched the scrolls of ancient records. The prophecy of Balaam had declared, there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Star, king, star, king. What is this? Could this strange star have been sent as a harbinger of the promised one? The Magi had welcomed the light of heaven, sent truth. Now it was shed upon them in brighter rays. Through dreams, they were instructed to go in search of the newborn prince. Wow. By the way, they got dreams at the end. We'll see that in a moment. Dreams at the beginning, dreams at the end. Some of you are bothered by that. You say, listen, I don't like to have the fingerprints of God that much on a, on a human event. We need to be able to just kind of plow through this alone. Are you kidding? I would like to ask God to place his fingerprints on my life in every way he can possibly imagine and just leave my life covered with his fingerprints. Why wouldn't you want God's fingerprints? Some of you right now, I believe one day when we look back, some of you are right now going through the most mysterious moment of your life, the most, the most perplexing, the most confusing, the most painful. Uh, Associate Chaplain Danielle just a moment ago was praying for you. Some of you are going through what you cannot believe is true. I believe the day will come one day when we will look back on these dark moments of this very dark pandemic and somehow the God who did not cause this has his fingerprints on our lives right now. You have nothing to be afraid of. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. I say, oh, Jesus, star, star of the night, put your fingerprints all over me, please. I'm not bothered a whit by God intervening. That's my God for you. He intervenes. Well, let's read verse 10. Read verse 9. Verse 10. And when they saw the star, oh, I love this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It, it seems a little under, undersold to me, underplayed. And so Frederick Dale Bruner, in his uh, commentary on the book of Matthew, here's how he renders it. When they saw the star, they felt the deepest and most profound joy. Don't you love that? We're not, we're not talking about just joy. We're talking about the deepest and most profound joy you can imagine. They had it. Do you know why? Because here's what I'm suspicious of. I'm suspicious that after they've had this little tete-a-tete with King Herod and the clergy of Jerusalem, they go back to their dromedaries if they rode camels. I have no idea. They go back to those beasts of burden. And there's a gnawing doubt in their hearts now. I mean, we came to the capital of Israel, and the clergy have no, had no clue. The king, half Jew, says, I don't know anything about this. Maybe we were wrong. 
Maybe we've been following a dream that isn't true. Are there times when you doubt? Oh, there are times when I doubt. There have been times when I've just, in the dark, said, what if this isn't true? What if all of this is a story that they've brilliantly put together? No God. Oh, I just hear your chills up and down your back and say, oh, I don't want to go down that road. Do you know what? That we've been created with the capacity to doubt. If we were not created with the capacity to doubt, when the enemy comes to us, we'd say, yeah, that must be, that must be true. Yeah, oh yeah, I believe you. We would believe everything told to us. We have to be able to doubt. It is not a sin to doubt. The sin is if I coddle that doubt, I embrace it and I grow it. I refuse to consider the other voices saying, that's not true, Dwight. You don't have to believe that voice. That voice is lying to you. Listen to me. If I say, no, I don't want to hear from you, then it becomes an issue of rebellion against my Creator. I can't imagine them not getting back to the, uh, getting back to their transportation and not wondering, man, did we make a mistake? The next night, you see, that's why there's this super abounding joy. The next night they get out and there is the star and it's moving. And no wonder it reads when they saw the star, whew, we were right. We have not made a mistake. When they saw the star, they felt the deepest and most profound joy. Ah, yeah. Reminds me of this sentence from uh, the, the apocalyptic classic, The Great Controversy. Whoever is with singleness of purpose seeking to do God's will, and that would be you because I know you, earnestly heeding the light already given to you, you will receive greater light. I love this. This is a promise for us. To that soul who's seeking some star of heavenly radiance will be sent to guide him, will be sent to guide her into all truth. Isn't that beautiful? Some star of heavenly radiance will be sent to guide you. And where will the star lead you? Where the star always leads, of course, to Jesus. Look at verse 11. And on coming to the house, by the way, didn't say on coming to the stable and coming to the manger. Time has gone by. You've got to get the Magi all the way from uh, Persia, Babylonia, the land of the two rivers. You've got to get them thousands of kilometers up the Fertile Crescent and down, even if they cut across the, uh, the desert. You've got to get them to Jesus. The blessed family has moved into a house now. That's not a typo. He's in a house now. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, God's on a pretty close basis with this crew of pagan scholars. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Moral of the story, in this world of utter pandemic darkness, be the star, be the star God needs to lead somebody in that darkness to Jesus. You be the star. Why not? You be the star. 
I think of the life of Brandon Bernard, who was executed a week ago Thursday at 9.27 in the evening at the Federal Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. That's one week ago in two days. A tragic crime committed at the age of 18 could have ended in an even greater tragedy at the age of 40 had not this young Seventh-day Adventist prisoner reconnected with the forgiveness and redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were praying. The story got picked up. The division was praying across Canada and North America, praying that God would somehow intervene. And when, when Thursday evening came and we kept following the news, and I'm following guys that are tweeting, uh, media reporters who are on site at the penitentiary, part of the witness team for the execution, I'm reading their tweets. Will the Supreme Court, will the Supreme Court come through? We know that the Supreme Court eventually turned down the petition, and he was executed. I woke up the next morning, I'm telling you the truth, early Friday morning, it was a week ago yesterday. I mean, there we had rallied people across the nation to band together and praying for God, please intervene and save this young man's life, when in fact the Holy Spirit whispered to me, hey, Dwight, did it ever occur to you? that we have an entire human race sitting on the death row right now. Every man, woman, and child is on death row. And you're rallying the troops for one, one young man. What are you doing? What are you, where are you rallying? Where are you rallying the troops for a lost world? Oh, my. Good question. In all... Honesty, it had never occurred to me before. The human race is sitting on death row right now. My. And who's praying for them now? Who's praying for your neighbors? What are we doing for them now? For my neighbors? It is intriguing that Matthew, God bless this evangelist, has already covertly inserted, embedded in the story, the compelling, the, the, the notion of the compelling love of God for all humanity sitting on death row. He's already embedded that. We, we, we don't get this, but in Matthew chapter 1, this mysterious genealogy, guess who he embeds? Surprise entries in his genealogy. Four pagan women. Uh, Tamar, fake prostitute. Rahab, real prostitute. Ruth, pagan Moabitess. The wife of Uriah, we remember her as Bathsheba, pagan wife, seduced by King David, whose blood is in the Messiah's veins. Matthew's making a huge point. Four of them, four pagans on death row in chapter 1. And guess what? He's the only one to remind us there are three other pagans you need to know about. You say, how do you know there were three? Well, we're just going to guess, as tradition does, that there are three gifts or there are three magi, okay? Three pagan scholars sitting on death row. Seven of them, seven of them, on either side of Jesus. As it, was the, as it was when Jesus was born, guess what? On either side of him when he dies, Matthew drives home the same point. Two thieves. He is born and he dies in the middle of sinners like you and me. Wow. And by the way, you think, well, these magi are, you know, you know, 
uh, the Jews had a heart for these magi. No, no, no. Let me, let me, let me share with you uh, uh, Frederick, Frederick uh, Bruner. Official Israel deeply despised the magicians and astrologers of the Gentiles and felt that God had rescued his people from the tyranny of the stars and from those who claimed to know their secrets. Yeah, stay away from people. Children, don't ever play with those kids. Biblically faithful Israel felt about the Magi roughly the way theological orthodoxy, and we have a lot of orthodox uh, theological professors here, feels how theological orthodoxy feels in the present about the new age spirituality. Kind of kinky, kind of weird, but you know, there might be a little light in that. That's how the Jews felt about these magi. Keep going. To Israel and to the early church, even the readers of Matthew who are dominantly Jews, the intended audience. To them then, astrologers, which is exactly what the magi were, would be the least deserving guests at the birthday party of the Christ. Leanne just sings the birthday of the king. And Matthew wants you to know he had the least deserving guests. That's his point. That's why Matthew the evangelist, exclamation mark, is delighted to see exactly such people invited. Isn't that beautiful? Matthew has set this story up. He has set this story up. So that we will notice what comes between. Here's what comes between the four and the three sitting on death row. But after Joseph had considered this, divorcing his young betrothed fiance, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We ought to really be reading that. He will save his people from our sins. I'm talking about my sins and your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Christmas gospel. This is it. Born in the middle of pagans on death row, dies in the middle of pagans, sinners and rebels on the cross. It's love on the move. It's what it is. It's love on the move. That star is a symbol of love on the move. And guess what? The moral of the story is this. You're this star. You're this star. How did that line go? To that soul that's seeking some star of heavenly radiance will be sent to guide him, to guide her to Jesus. Be that star. Please, be that star. God hasn't forgotten that person on death row. You're his solution. Love on the move. You be that star. You move into that darkness. How's it work, Dwight? Works like this. Just a few days ago, about a week, I was shopping in uh, a Dollar General store, my favorite shopping place, and I'm looking for essentials. That's why I go the Dollar General. So, as I get up to the cash register, there is one of these whirly uh, turnstile carousel book racks. I never pass one of those. I never pass one of those without spinning it around. If it's in an airport, I'll spin it around. I'm, needing, I'm looking for something worth reading. Those are the two key words, worth reading. So I'm spinning it around once before I go to the cashier, and I see a book I have never read before, and I buy the book. Title of the book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Hmm. I bought it. I'm about halfway through it now. But imagine, you should have seen my eyes. You should have seen my eyes when I read what you're going to read now on this screen. Alex Haley, the great writer, 
interviewed Malcolm X and wrote the story. So Malcolm X is thinking about his childhood in Lansing, Michigan. Anybody heard of Lansing? Of course, just up the road. This is Malcolm X writing in his, in his uh, biography. About this time, he's just an adolescent. Lanky adolescent. About this time, my mother began to be visited by some Seventh-day Adventists. I had to stop. I said, wait a minute. Let me get that again. Seventh-day Adventist spells it a little differently. Alex Haley does, but we got it. Visited by some Seventh-day Adventists who had moved into a house not too far down the road from us. Good for you, neighbors. Good for you. Keep reading. They would talk to her, his mother, for hours at a time and leave booklets and leaflets and magazines for her to read. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? From another generation. We began to go with my mother to the Adventist meetings that were held further out in the country. For us children, I know that the major attraction was the good food they served. I have been through a lot of Adventist potlucks, and I can tell you Malcolm X is absolutely right. It's good food. It's just good food. Don't get any better. But we listen too. When you do little social stuff, don't forget people are listening as well. They're not just there to eat. They're following what you're doing. We listen too. There were a handful of Negroes from small towns in the area, but I would say it was 99% white people in that church. Hmm. The Adventists felt that we were living at the end of the time, at the end of time, that the world was soon coming to an end, but they were the friendliest white people I had ever seen. I'll leave that on the screen. The friendliest white people I had ever seen. 99% of the church, whites. But when he writes his story, and by the way, you know, you know his, his, his life, a young American Muslim minister, human rights activist, popular figure during the civil rights movement in the early 60s, best known for his time spent as a vocal spokesman for the nation of Islam, eventually gunned down at the age of 39. That's Malcolm X. But he remembers his childhood. And they were the friendliest white people I'd ever seen. Just this lanky adolescent with his mom and siblings. Who could have guessed that he would end up becoming the great Malcolm X? They had no idea. They would just love on the move. We don't care how you're going to turn out. We're just glad that you turned in to our church. And we're going to love on you. They were the friendliest white people I had ever seen. Makes you wonder if they had come at that time to this church at that time, would, they been, would he have been able to say, hey, those people at Andrews University are the friendliest white people I've ever seen, pioneer. It's called love on the move, brothers and sisters, not because you know that some kid's going to become world famous, so I better love him in case he turns out to be famous. Who does that? Nobody does that. No simply because that's the story of the Christmas star. Love on the move is the Christmas star that always leads to Jesus. So, Dwight, would you please be that star? Yo, you, would you please be that star? 
What's that line again from Great Controversy? Whoever's with singleness of purpose, seeking to do God's will, earnestly heeding the light already given, will receive greater light. Keep looking. Keep seeking. You're going to get it. God has measured and noted your, your persistence to that soul. Some star of heavenly radiance will be sent to guide her, to guide him into all truth. You be that star of heavenly radiance. It's called love on the move. I think it's the most beautiful definition that you could come up with for love on the move. Some star of heavenly radiance that moves through the darkness and comes into the orbit of someone who needs to know Jesus now. Wow. I received a letter this Monday. Good timing. I'm going to end with it. Right now. December 10. Dear Pastor Nelson, my name is... I'll leave the name out. I'm writing to thank the Pioneer Memorial Church for helping us and showing compassion during a difficult time in our lives. My wife and I, along with our three children, immigrated to the United States from India in the year 1988 and joined Anders University as students. Life at the university was very difficult for us at that time because of financial problems. We struggled through three years of education and were totally broke by the year 1990. So we decided not to celebrate Christmas in 1990. No Christmas tree, no Christmas gifts, no new clothes, no toys for the kids. We explained our difficulties to the kids and they understood. The Sabbath before Christmas, we went to Pioneer. Do you understand this is the Sabbath before Christmas? This is the day they, they were in Pioneer, all right? The Sabbath before Christmas, we're there. And we went to first service, and then the children went to Sabbath school. It was a very cold and dreary day. Some things never change in Michigan. <laughs> when the church was over, I asked my wife and children to stay inside the church while I went and heated up the car and brought it to them. While they waited at the church, someone started talking to the kids about Christmas and gifts, and my children told them our story of no Christmas celebration. I was not aware of this conversation. On Christmas Eve, I received a call from someone from the church. She asked me not to sleep early because she and her friends were coming over to see us. She came later with so many gifts, clothes and toys. What an amazing event for our children. Unfortunately, I forgot to ask her name and never met her again. You know why? Because love on the move never leaves a business card. I don't care who I am. It's not important for you to know who I am. I'm just going to love you. That's all I'm going to do. I'm nobody to you, but who cares? I forgot to ask her name and never met her again. Maybe she's sitting here. She truly was an angel. We have never forgotten that kindness. We also met many other amazing people at Andrews. I worked on campus, and the supervisors there were so kind and gracious to us. At the end of 1990, I graduated with an MBA in accounting from Andrews, and my wife graduated with a degree in nursing from Southwestern Community College. We moved to California. I completed the CPA exam and started a tax practice, which has grown well. My wife became a registered nurse, served the community hospital for 30 years. Our children have become professionals. God has been extremely gracious to us. We have not had the privilege to go back and visit Andrews, but we have never forgotten the kindness, compassion, and grace we received there. We thank God for the university and the church. We look back, and all that we can say is, Lord, we praise you. Yeah. 
I'm sorry for writing a long letter, but we wanted to express our thanks to you and others at Andrews. As we celebrate Christmas again, we want to help someone there. I am attaching a check for $1,000 with this letter. Please use this money to bless someone. We ended up blessing several someones as a gift during this season of his first advent. Maybe some poor ones will appreciate the gift as we did many years ago. God bless you all and thank you for being a beacon. We've been listening to Pioneer for the last 30 years. We thank God for you. Love on the move. Somebody got blessed. Because anonymous love on the move just loved. Just loved. You are that star of heavenly radiance that God is sending out into this dark pandemic world. Don't kid yourself. You are a beautiful sight for the kingdom of heaven. And they are cheering you on. If you're a young teenager, it doesn't matter to heaven. They're just, they're just as excited about you as they are of octogenarians. They're cheering you on. You are love on the move. What you do for someone that may never be recognized, heaven keeps a record. And one day, you'll be told the rest of the story. Love on the move. I say, let's be that this new year. What do you say? Let's just be that. Come on. Let's do it. There may be somebody that's being brought to your mind right now. Act on that. Act on that. Let's pray. Oh, God, here we are. The Sabbath before Christmas. Beautiful music, beautiful church, beautiful people to worship with. And now we're going home. Please, dear Father, know our hearts. Keep making us stars of heavenly radiance that you might be able to send us to guide someone else. Love on the move. We'll love them to you, Jesus. We'll love them to you by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.